Hey, Story Most Queer listeners, it's Leah, and this week I'm here to talk to you about Tab for a Cause. Tab for a Cause is an easy-to-install browser extension that lets you raise money for charity while doing your thing online. Whenever you open a new tab, you'll see a beautiful photo and a small ad. Part of that ad money goes toward a charity of your choice. So I have this downloaded for my browser, and I use Chrome primarily. Um, and so I just clicked a new tab, and it, I have got the time up very big and the date because that those are things that I constantly forget. Um, up the top corner, I can see the total amount of money that's been generated so far. And I can also see the number of tabs that I've personally opened. And those tabs are the things that translate to money that you can donate to charities like water.org or Save the Children. And the ads on here are just your standard banner ads. Like these are things you see all over the internet. They're really not obtrusive at all. So if you would like to join Team Story Most Queer, aka the best team, you can go to tabforacause.org slash mostqueer. Again, go to tabforacause.org slash mostqueer and sign up to install that extension today. Today's story contains alcohol use and descriptions of sexual acts. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to a story most queer, where every week we bring you a new story about queer characters and lifestyles, written by queer authors, narrated by queer voices. Pocket-sized queer stories for everyone. A Story Most Queer is brought to you by Mischief Media. Today's story is Wine and Magnolias, written by Leila E. Buis, read by Gwendolyn Boniface. We got a late start yesterday and ran into an accident in Atlanta, so we've come in from Savannah this morning. Miller is driving the truck with our equipment, and his wife Celia and I have come in separately in the car. She's a freckled redhead with brown eyes and expressive hands. Holly, she says as we turn off onto the main street, this doesn't look like a good place to have a shellfish allergy. I look over at her. Is that bothering you again? I got a rash from the fish last week, she says. She tugs at the hem of her shirt. So order fried chicken instead? What if the whole kitchen is contaminated, she asks. They use the same utensils, the same fat to fry the chicken. Go vegetarian, I suggest. I'll starve, she says. Is that the place? We're just north of Brunswick, Georgia, here to investigate a bed and breakfast hotel that's had paranormal activity. It's situated in a hole-in-the-wall community with graceful old homes still lining the streets, all framed by live oaks trailing Spanish moss. There are two or three gift shops and an art gallery, tabby ruins at the waterfront. At the docks, a line of shrimp boats provides a clue to what supports the local economy. We've turned into the back streets now, and I'm looking for the address. Celia's pointing to a white Victorian house at the end of the block. It's a two-story with columns, a porch, and a swing. There's a white picket fence out front. The parking area is shaded by magnolia trees, covered just now with white blossoms. There's a sign that says, open gates. That's it, I say. I drive in under the trees and shut off the car, look around. At the end of the block, our truck turns the corner close behind us. In another moment, Miller pulls in beside the car. He gets out and stretches, his long body uncurling like a cat from the cramped cab. He looks at the house with intense, dark eyes. It's late summer in South Georgia, but the temperature is relatively pleasant here. It's humid, but that's always a given in the South. We're still looking at the place when a man comes walking down the street from a shop further along. 
Hey, he says. You're the investigators, right? He's looking at the truck, which says, Halloran Psychic Investigations. Sure, says Miller. I'm Miller Halloran, and this is my sister Holly and my wife Celia. I'm Zach, the man says. He's taller and younger than I expected. We bought the place about three years back, he says. We didn't know it was haunted. This has come up really fast. You'd think it might be an attraction, but the, um, manifestations have been a little too scary. It's running off our business. We're fairly good at recording and identifying phenomena, I say, but you might have to find an exorcist somewhere else. I've found one up in Savannah, says Zach, but she says we've got to establish what kind of phenomena we're dealing with first. If it's something besides a ghost... Sure, says Miller. We can do that for you. Is there some place here to eat lunch? Skips, says Zach. It's just around the corner at the waterfront. Do you want to stay in the B&B? Not tonight, I say. That will disturb the energy. We'll need to record it without anyone in the rooms, at least at first. There's another hotel just behind Skips, then, he says. Celia and I go off with the car and the luggage to check into the hotel, while Miller and Zach sit on the front porch of the house. They're going to do the initial interview that gives us information on the house and what's been going on. Apparently, the house was built in 1876 by a timber baron who shipped his goods out from the waterfront. Zack doesn't know of any murders or other tragedies that took place there. When we get back to the B&B, Miller is done with the interview, so we head to Skips for lunch. Sure enough, Celia breaks out in hives within an hour after eating. This is awful, she says, fanning the hem of her shirt. Miller, will you take me back to the room? I don't have any Benadryl either. Did you see a drugstore somewhere? We're trying to set up the equipment. He looks at me. I can handle it, I say. It's all mostly carried in, so I can set it up. Okay, he says. See you later. The gear I need to set up is digital recorders and full-spectrum cameras that will record any sounds, movement, or ectoplasm that might appear. According to Zach, the manifestations include singing, moans, and screams. A couple of guests have also seen a sort of misty presence, all of this taking place at night. The B&B only has four bedrooms, three upstairs and one downstairs. In addition to that, there's a library, a living room, a dining room, a kitchen, and a utility area. I've got enough gear to cover all those and the stairs, too, but it will take me all afternoon to set it up working by myself. There's no help for it, so I get started in the bedroom upstairs. By five o'clock, I'm nearly done. I'm down on my knees in the downstairs bedroom, running wires for the lighting, when I become aware that someone else is there. I start, bang my head on the dresser. Oh, sorry, she says. I didn't mean to startle you. I'm just in front of a wall mirror, and my reflection sits up on its heels to have a look at her. I look like Miller in the glass, tall and dark-haired, dark-eyed. I've got on a gray t-shirt, work boots, and jeans, and my hair is up in a clip. The girl steps back, out of range of the mirror. That's okay, I say. What are you doing? She asks. She sits down on the bed. She's got dark skin and freckles, blondish hair and green eyes. She's dressed in shorts and a plaid shirt. Her legs are long and brown and they catch my eye, the curve of the calf, the long sweep of the thigh. She's a really lush, pretty girl. Paranormal investigation, I say. I go back to working on the wiring, apply some duct tape to prevent a tripping hazard. Oh, she says. I saw your truck outside. You're hoping to take pictures of the ghost? That's right, I say. 
I'm Irina Marks, she says. I'm here for the summer. Have you been doing this kind of work very long? She looks about the right age to be a college student, I think. About ten years, I say. I'm Holly Halloran. That's so interesting, says Irina. How did you get started with it? My Uncle Joe lived in a haunted house, I say. When we were teenagers, my brother and his girlfriend and I decided to investigate. We sort of learned the basics doing that, and once we had the equipment, we went into business together. She looks at the cameras. Can you really take pictures of ghosts with those? Sure, I say. They're full spectrum, which means they go into the ultraviolet and infrared range, as well as using visible light. Ghost ectoplasm isn't like flesh and blood, but if people can see something, then the cameras can usually make it more distinct. Are you here by yourself? She asks. I explain about Celia's hives. They can actually be a sign of a serious anaphylactic reaction, so it's something that bears watching. Miller hasn't come back, but he's not called either, so I gather he's still monitoring the situation. How awful, she says. I'm glad I don't have any allergies like that. I start putting away my pliers and tape in the toolkit. Are you done with the cameras? She asks. Yep, I say. It's all set up. There are monitors in the van where we can watch the video feeds later tonight. Tomorrow night, one of us will stay in the house, see if it makes any difference. What if you find something? She asks. Are you a ghost... killer, too? (laughs) You mean a ghost hunter? I ask. No, not usually. I check my phone again, but there's nothing from Miller or Celia. I was hoping Miller would make it back pretty soon to have a look at the setup before we need to start monitoring. If you've got a little time, says Arena, come sit in the living room. You can tell me about where you're from. The living room has a Victorian-style couch and overstuffed chairs in front of the fireplace. The walls are a restful green with about a foot of white crown molding at the ceiling. The floor is hardwood. There are watercolors from local artists, apparently for sale, on the walls. Irina opens a cupboard in one corner and starts music, a smooth jazz. Do you like wine? She asks. I'm not sure if Zach... I start to say. I think I'm pretty good friends with Zach, she says. He won't mind. He'll put it down as promotion. I think about it. Okay, sure, I say. I make myself comfortable in one of the chairs, and after a minute she comes back from the kitchen with two wine glasses and a bottle of Pinot Grigio. She serves up the wine and hands me a glass, arrays her long legs on the sofa. Her shirt pulls tight, showing off small, high breasts. She tries out the wine and leans her head back, savoring the taste. This place is so romantic, she says. Don't you like the ambiance? It is, I say. She's right that it's exceptional. The bedrooms have all been beautifully furnished, and it has a quaint charm while still having modern amenities. There's even a pool and a barbecue pit in the backyard. When I'm here, I can just see myself in one of those gorgeous southern bell gowns, she says. You know, the ones with the big hoop skirts and the low-cut bodices. Maybe my lover would come courting and we could sit on the porch swing outside and drink lemonade and kiss when no one was watching. I can see the same vision. That kind of dress would suit her, I think. I have to smile. Do you have family here? I ask. No, she says. I came down this way on a road trip with some people from Savannah and decided I'd like to spend the summer here. Such a pretty little town. Since summer's nearly over, I'll be looking for a ride back soon. I'd think you'd be looking for more action, I say. She looks at me straight. I just like quiet, out-of-the-way places, she says. She licks her finger and runs it along the top of the glass, making it sing. Are you from Savannah? Tennessee, I say. We've come down from Chattanooga. I've not been there, she says. Would it be an interesting place to visit? It's pretty, I say. You'd like the mountains, 
I've been enjoying the grassy savannas here. The terrain at the coast is a lot different from the Appalachians. Just then, my phone sounds its tone. It's Miller. Hey, I say. How's Celia? Itchy, he says. I think she'll be okay for a while, so I'm going to the chicken jack to get dinner. Do you want me to pick you up something? Sure, I say. How about some wings? I'll be there in a while. Are you headed off? Asks Serena. Yep, I say. It's not far. I can walk. Watch out for the mosquitoes, she says. You'll need to get some repellent to sit in the truck all night. Thanks for the wine, I say. Sure. I set the glass down on the side table. She follows me out to the porch, sits in the swing, and waves as I head off down the sidewalk. Celia looks like hell, her eyes swollen almost shut. Dang, honey, I say. Don't you need to see a doctor about that? She's sitting in the bed, watching TV and scratching her belly. Maybe, she says. I'm hoping the Benadryl will take care of it tonight. If it's still like this tomorrow, maybe I'll need cortisone. Miller arrives with the wings and coleslaw then, and we dig in. We've got plenty of time before we have to start monitoring. Miller walks over and takes a look around at my setup, tweaks some of the camera settings. I can tell he's worried about Celia. The night is uneventful, with no sign of moans, screams, or ectoplasm. It's disappointing. We knock off around dawn, head back to the hotel rooms for a few hours of sleep. At two in the afternoon, Celia still looks like hell. So Miller calls Zach and asks where to find a doctor. They head off south, looking for an ER, and leave me to check the B&B again. The setup looks undisturbed. Zach sees me there and heads down the street. Anything? He asks. Not last night, I say. Still, we've got a baseline now. One of us will stay in the house tonight to see if that will provoke something. Okay, he says. Listen, I've got some guests coming for the weekend. Will you be finished by then? I'm wondering why he didn't say something about this before. It's already Thursday. I try not to frown. I can't promise anything, I say. If we don't get something tonight... Okay, he says. He runs a hand through his hair, looks unhappy. I've got to get back to the shop. I've not been in the house long before Arena opens the front door. Holly? Yeah, I call. I'm here. How's your sister-in-law? She asks. Not too good today, I say. I come out of the bedroom, drop onto the sofa. Miller took her to the ER. The reaction could last a few days. If it gets any worse, it'll be dangerous. I'm starting to worry about the job now. We need the money, and if we have to leave without finishing up... I'm so sorry to hear that, says Irina. What a way to spend the week. She goes to the cupboard, turns the music on again. At least you've got some time to relax before you have to work, she says. Would you like some wine tonight? I take a deep breath. Sure, I say. She brings out a Riesling this time, sits on the sofa next to me. She's close enough that I can feel the heat off her body, smell the faint scent of her cologne. She props one elbow on the back of the couch, studies my face. Are you and your brother twins? She asks. I have to laugh. Yes, I say, but of course we're not identical. She laughs too. You might as well be, she says. They'll be at the ER pretty late. Why don't we have dinner here tonight? Zach has some food in the fridge that will spoil if it's not used up. I don't know, I say. Aren't you going to stay here tonight? She asks. 
You said you'd need to see if someone in the house makes a difference. I think about it. The plan was for Miller to stay in the house and for me or Celia to monitor, but if they're both occupied with the hives, then maybe I can take care of it myself. The monitoring is automatic once it's set up, after all. There's been no sign this ghost is dangerous, and Zack wants us out by the weekend. I guess I can do it myself, I say. Wonderful, she says. She reaches out, tucks a stray bit of hair behind my ear. Her touch causes a little shiver up my spine. She smiles, as if she knows it's happened. There's leftover lasagna in the fridge. We heat it up in the oven and make salad and garlic bread. The dining room has a long table with a buffet and more of the pretty watercolors. The table is already set with crystal and linen napkins. We pull up two chairs together, have coffee in the library afterward. It's paneled in dark wood, and the shelves of books offer information on the Golden Isles, Sapello Island, and the local ecology. There's a nice selection of novels as well. There's another of the Victorian sofas against the window, and we sit there, enjoying the smooth music and the last of the coffee. There's thunder muttering in the distance now, a storm blowing up. Are you going to be finished tonight? Irina asks. She's sitting close again, and I can smell the clean scent of her hair. She's left it down today, and it falls around her shoulders in tight, amber waves. It has to be tonight, I say. Zack has some guests coming for the weekend, so we've got to have the equipment out by tomorrow afternoon. I'll miss you, she says. It's been nice to have someone to talk to. I have to laugh. Aren't you the one looking for a quiet place to spend the summer? She laughs too. Listen, she says. It's gonna rain. We can hear the first raindrops sweeping across the roof now, spatting the windows. Burr, she says. She shivers, curls against me. Don't you think it's a little cold in here? She asks. A little bit, I say. The difference is that I've got on jeans and a tee, and she's just wearing shorts and a halter top that shows off brown, rounded shoulders and a respectable cleavage. In a moment, she leans over and kisses me on the mouth. It's not really a surprise. I've noticed the way she's looked at me, and I've not been shy about looking at what she's got to offer either. I feel a rush of desire. I lift one hand to touch her breast, feel her nipple lift and harden under the thin cloth of the halter top. Lightning flashes at the windows. Thunder cracks. It rumbles through the house, out across the river. Irina presses tight against me. Mmm, she says. She gets up then. She takes my hand, leads me into the downstairs bedroom. Lightning flashes again, outlines her body in glowing light. We undress, wrap passionately around one another on the four-poster bed. She's golden and sweet-scented, heated already. The small, high breasts have dark nipples. Ah, she says, as I slide my hand down her belly. Thunder cracks again, rumbles into the distance. Hail clatters at the windows. Irina buries her face in my hair, comes to climax at the height of the storm. She cuddles against me to sleep. Listening to her soft breathing beside me, I think she's the best lay I've had in a long time. Sometime in the morning, I wake to the manifestations the guests must be complaining about. There are creaks on the stairs, something that sounds like a woman's voice. Good, I think, still half asleep. 
The monitors will catch it, and we'll have something to analyze in the morning. That will earn us our pay. Later, I come fully awake by myself in the big bed. Light streams in through the windows. Irina has thrown the coverlet over me. Remembering the cameras too late, I'm thinking this needs to be a private bit of film that Miller and Celia don't see. I have to smile at that. I'm hoping Arena will be around for breakfast, but she's nowhere to be found this morning. Continuing my assumptions about Zack's hospitality, I help myself to coffee and muffins in the kitchen. Then I go out to check the van. I don't have time to review all the files, but I do edit out the footage of Arena and myself in the bedroom. I start to erase it, but at the last second, I decide to save it onto my phone instead. Then I cut the feeds, go inside to start disassembling the gear. I'm back at our hotel by mid-morning. It seems the cortisone has nearly killed Celia's hives. Did you get something? Asks Miller. I'm sure we did. I say, I guess someone has to be there to trigger the response. Great, he says. Maybe we should head back home today then. It'll cut down our expenses if we do the analysis at home. We go back to the house to pick up the truck, and I'm hoping Arena will be there to say goodbye. She's nowhere to be seen, though. Damn, I didn't even get her phone number. I'm annoyed, but I'll have to give it up. I'm going to drive the truck home, and Miller and Celia are taking the car. I take a last hopeful look around. Bye, honey, I say. It's been nice. The house is still and silent. The porch swing only creaks a little in a slight breeze. The heavy scent of the magnolias spreads on the humid air. I walk out the front gate, climb into the truck cab. Arena is right that this is a nice place. Maybe I can come back again sometime as a guest. I keep thinking about her on the trip back home. The scent of her hair, the smooth texture of her skin. Maybe I can call Zach later and ask how to get in touch with her. There's no traffic slowdown in Atlanta this time. Back home, I have restless dreams, and it takes a lot of coffee to get me up and running on Saturday. I spend the morning going through what we've recorded, finally find a clear shot of the ghost. She was in my bedroom at the open gates, just before dawn, a wisp of a southern bell, in a hoop skirt, and a low-cut bodice. She's dancing, it seems singing. She swings her arms, throws back her curly head. It's Arena. I close my eyes, feel the touch of her hands again, the soft brush of her lips. Whether or not I see her again, she's going to haunt me now. Thank you for listening to A Story Most Queer. This week's story was Wine and Magnolia's. Written by Leela E. Buis, read by Gwendolyn Boniface. This episode was edited by Leah Cornish. Our outro music is Round Daytime by Paratune. If you like the show, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on your podcast app of choice. It really helps others find us. You can follow us on social. We are A Story Most Queer on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you would like to submit a story, head over to astorymostqueer.mischiefmedia.com to read over our FAQs and fill out the form. You can also check out mischiefmedia.com for the other shows on our network. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week for another Story Most Queer.